Thank you, brother, for that time of worship. You wrote that middle song, didn't you? Yeah, thank you so much. That was really great. We're going to be in Mark 12, 1 through 12 this morning. Follow along in the Word of God. Projected behind me, as you can see. This is what it says. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. This is the word of God. You can be seated. While you're being seated, please let me pray. Father, we want and we need your blessing on us at this time. Lord, some need their eyes open for the first time. So, Father, we pray that you would save souls. Lord, please draw sinners to yourself through your word, convicting them of their sin, convincing them of the truth, and converting their souls Lord, for others that do know you already, who've already been recipients of of that miraculous work that we don't deserve, Lord, we who are now in the kingdom, Lord, we also know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we also know that we need this this morning to help us grow up in the faith and in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, so I pray, use your word to convict some and to grow others, Lord, And help us to see what you were clearly teaching through this parable. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you recall, in our text, at this time, where Jesus is, he has entered Jerusalem, and he entered on the donkey with the cheers of the people. And of course, the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they didn't like this because they didn't like him. Then he came in and he clears the temple, overturning tables, scattering everyone who are wickedly taking advantage of true worshipers. And of course, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, again, they don't like this either. By what authority are you doing these things? So Jesus, like I mentioned last week, has kicked the beehive and the bees are swarming and he has something to say specifically against them today. Look, like it says uh, at the very beginning of verse 1, it says he began to speak to them in parables. You see that? And then look down at verse 12, and they were seeking to arrest him. So this 
that the them in verse 1 and the they in verse 12 are connected. Those are the same people. These are these Jewish religious leaders. And this parable is specifically against them. This parable has been called the parable of the tenants or the parable of the wicked tenants. So let's just get right into it. And what I want to do today also is I want to, we're going to go back to Exodus when Moses was receiving the law from the Lord. And I want to make some comparisons between that time and this time. Because a lot of what Jesus is sharing in this parable were acts that happened, events that happened in the Old Testament. And I want to just make that case today. I believe that a lot of what he's sharing has great connections to things that happened in the Old Testament. And of course, things that happened in Jesus' present day too, because he's speaking it specifically against them. So let's just get right into it. And I think you're going to see there's a lot of great connections, of course, between what's happening there, where he's standing, and those people who are looking at him, who hate him. But there's some really great applications for all of us today too. We're going to see all that today. So please listen very closely. So let's look what's going on in verse 1. Jesus is telling this parable. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for it, made this wine press, built a tower, leased it to tenants, and went to another country. So pay attention here. Notice what's going on. Notice that the man, the owner, he does everything that needs to be done for this place, right? Look what he does. There's a lot of verbs here. There's four specific verbs. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower. So the owner is doing everything that needs to be done for a successful harvest. Do you see that? He's doing everything that's got to be done. Then what's he do? He leases it to tenants and went into another country. What's a lease? A lease is an agreement. A lease is an agreement between the leasor and the leasee saying how it happens with a wine press, like you see in this, this image here, I mean like a vineyard rather, is basically there are men that say, we will work for you. This is the agreement. We will work for you for a percentage of the crop. We'll put the work in. Of course, you'll get most of the crop, but we'll get some of it as our payment. And, of course, they use those grapes to then make wine or whatever, and they can sell that, or they can use it for themselves, and that way they make a living. But who's, the most, who's getting the most, of course? It's the, it's the man who owns everything. And so they have made an agreement with this man who owns everything, and they said, we will work for you. We'll make sure everything works out right here. Because doesn't it benefit them if they work hard and make sure the grapes are as healthy as can be? Of course it benefits them. It's going to be a blessing for them because they're getting a cut of all of it. So it benefits them to do their best for the owner. It benefits them to play by the rules that the owner has set out. But I wanted to point out here that the owner did everything that needed to be done. And these people made an agreement with him that they would follow the rules and tend everything just right so that he's blessed and they're blessed. 
This is a lot like the children of Israel when they entered into an agreement, when they entered into a covenant with the Lord at Mount Sinai. Look at Exodus 19. We're going to be Exodus 19, 1 through 9 right now. Exodus 19, 1 through 9. The people of Israel had been delivered from Egypt at this point. They crossed the Red Sea, and the Lord brings them now to Mount Sinai, where he's about to give them the law. He's about to give them everything that they need in order to enter into relationship with them. He's done everything that's, that needs to be done for them. All they have to do is obey, walk in his ways. God will get glory for that, and they'll get blessed for that. A lot like what's going on with the vineyard, right? Look at verses 1 through 9. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They went out to Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. The Israel, uh, there Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, by the way, that's just another phrase for all the Israelites, because all the Israelites came from this man named Jacob. And tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now watch this. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set them before set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. At that point, they entered into agreement. Said, This is what the Lord said, and they said, We will walk in those ways. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. There are connections with what's going on in this parable with the people who were making this lease and the owner. There are connections that are a lot like what Israel did with the Lord God. But look at verse 2. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. This would be a normal practice. This is what's supposed to happen. You've worked hard to make this vineyard good and, and fruitful and because it's to your advantage and it's to my advantage. And, and so I'm sending some of my people to you to get what's rightfully mine. It's my vineyard. I did all the work. I put all the money in. I'm the one who made it Good. Your job is just to make it grow, put the work in. And so people come, servants come. Now it's interesting. I'm going to show you in a moment. But this word servants is often used in the Old Testament for prophets, very often. Moses is called a prophet, Amos is called a prophet, Isaiah is called a prophet. Actually, I mean, <laughs> let me back up. I realized I messed up my words there. 
Moses is called a servant. <laughs> Isaiah is called a servant, and Amos is called a servant as well. All these men were prophets, okay? Listen to this as well. Listen to Amos 3, 7. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So the prophets were called servants very often. And what do we have here? Jesus using the word servant and in his story, these servants are going to these people to get what's rightfully the owners. Just like the prophets of old went to the people and said, this is what the Lord says. Walk in his ways, expecting obedience, expecting right living, expecting righteousness. Let's see what happens in verse 3. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, we get in verse 4. Again, he's sent to them another servant. They struck him on the head, treated him shamefully. And verse 5, third attempt. He sent another. They killed him. And with so many others, they beat and they killed. The people of Israel, as we know, did not do what they said they were going to do. All these words, we will do, they said. But we know they're a lot like us. They're a very fickle people. And we know the people of Israel very quickly walked into sin. It was no time at all. Yet 40 days Moses was up on the mountain receiving all the words of God. And within that 40 days, what had they done? They had thrown themselves at this golden calf and acted shamefully. Yet 40 days, only 40. They couldn't even wait 40 days. And they had already gone back to the things that they'd seen among the Egyptians. They'd seen idol worship. They'd seen, this is how you show your love for your deity. You make an idol to it. You even sometimes act out wicked ways before it to venerate it. And Israel continued to do that all through the Old Testament, and God raised up prophets and sent these prophets to them. Were they always glad the prophets came? No, they weren't. Listen to Matthew 23, 37. This is when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and he's looking at Jerusalem, and you hear his heart here because he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to it. Sound familiar? Sounds just like our parable. Because it is. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. There's even a portion in the scriptures where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these people say, if we would have lived long ago, we would not have done those wicked acts of our fathers when they killed the prophets. And Jesus said, ah, in saying that, you're admitting that it was your fathers who killed the prophets. And that's true. This parable is showing this is what happened again and again and again with the people of Israel, with those that represented the Lord. 
The tenants broke the terms of the lease by not giving the owner what was rightfully his, like when the children of Israel didn't give God the worship or obedience that was rightfully his. The tenants acted like the vineyard was theirs, didn't they? They said, no, we're going to do what we want to do. We're rejecting the authority of the owner, and we're showing now that we definitely reject the authority of the owner by even rejecting those who come to represent the owner. That's something that we need to hear. Because some of the main points we've gotten already are this. The Lord has given us, in the word of God, all that we need for life and godliness. Has he not? And we'll either reject God's authority and seek to become our own authority, while also rejecting those who represent God. See, here's how it usually goes. Here's the progression of things. When you reject the authority of the Word of God, you'll also reject those who represent God. If you have been rejected by some for standing on the truth of the Word of God, know this, they're not ultimately rejecting you, are they? They're rejecting the one who has said that truth that you're representing. That's who they're ultimately rejecting. Therefore, I need you to be a little more encouraged. I need you to, number one, know that Jesus said this would happen. And he also said this, blessed are you when people revile you and say all kinds of evil about you for my name's sake. Your reward will be great in heaven. You will be persecuted You'll be hated. You'll be rejected. But you know why? Because Jesus was. The Lord God himself was. When wicked men chase after their own wicked ways, they put their hand in opposition to God, and they put their hand in opposition to those who represent God as well. That's why the tenants kept stoning all these servants sent to them. They had already rejected in their mind The owner who set all this up, who they were in agreement with, they broke the terms of that agreement, just like Israel broke the terms of the covenant. In Deuteronomy, the Lord lays out very clearly, here's the blessings that will come upon you if you obey me. And here's all the curses that will come upon you if you disobey me and break covenant with me. And guess what? You can go through so many of the books of the prophets and say, this judgment is coming upon them because of this verse in Deuteronomy where he said that would happen. And this judgment came upon them because of this verse in Deuteronomy, which he said would happen. It's just so clear when you see it from big picture. And it's so clear here what's going wrong with the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law and the scribes of Jesus' day, isn't it? They're acting just like those who stoned the prophets. Even the most recent prophet who came to them right before Jesus arrived, who was the one to prepare the way for the Son? John the Baptist. Did they receive him? 
They rejected him. Herod killed him. And so all we're seeing is this pattern here. These tenants are acting wickedly because they rejected the king. Therefore, they reject those who represent the king. So in our parable, the owner says, well, I've got one last thing I can do. I've got one last thing. And what's he do? Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. So he's thinking, okay, my son. Yes, those other men represented me, sure. But my son, he's of me. He's from me. He's basically the same as me. That's how closely he represents me here. Surely they will receive him. And in all this, I've forgotten to even tell you guys the title of my sermon, and I've titled it because of what we see here. The, the title of the sermon this morning is uh, Rejected or Respected. Because it says here in our verse, um, surely they will respect my son. Well, do they? Those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They were not content with just keeping things run the way they wanted them run. They said, we want it all for ourselves. Which is also what man does. Man, once he rejects and rejects and rejects God, he then wants to be his own God. He wants to start cre to create his own truth and live in his own way and be his own God. And that's a natural progression. And you see this in people who start to doubt then it gets more full because they then start to sin and sin and God gives them over to their wicked ways. And then they then start to not only completely doubt altogether, they then say, you know what, I'm an atheist now. Man usually will just carry things to its extreme end in his sin unless the Lord intervenes and changes his heart. And these people said, we will just overtake everything. We want the vineyard for ourselves. The inheritance will be ours. We will rule it and we'll do what we want to do. And that's the heart of sinful man. He wants to be his own God. He wants to be his own master. But what the Lord made so clear to the people of Israel when he was giving them the ways of the covenant is he said, if you walk in my ways, I'll bless you. You'll find your greatest fulfillment in life. You'll find what you've really been made for when you walk in obedience to the word of God. And we're so duped often to think, no, 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 real freedom, real purpose, real pleasure will come in when I make myself God, when I do what I want to do all the time, then I'll be totally happy. And you have, <laughs> you've bought the bill of goods that the devil was selling you. You have taken it, hook, line, and sinker. It looks attractive. It looks real. It looks like it's going to really fulfill you. And you get hooked and you get snared into the trap 
of the wicked one. We live around a lot of water here, a lot of, fisher, a lot of fishermen, I'm sure, among us, maybe even some fisherwomen. You know what you do to fish. You put something on that line, it looks like the real thing. Here, fishy, fishy, this is what you want. Ooh, doesn't it look so delicious and so good? And the fish says, yeah, it does. And then you go, gotcha. You're, not, you're mine now, and I'm going to eat you. And that's what happens with the wicked one. He says, oh, look at this. Doesn't it sound good? Mm, check it out. And we say, yeah, it sure does. But you know what? We're even smarter, and we still get duped. We have the word of God to tell us that's not the right way. And we still say, but maybe God's wrong, perhaps. And maybe if I do this, maybe I'll, I'll somehow... Sur- There's got to be a, a hack. There's got to be some sort of back door to God's blessings besides what he tells me are the way to his blessings. And we're duped. Just like these people thought, we will own this thing if we kill the son. You see... The tenants acted like the vineyard was theirs, like the Pharisees and others acted like they were authority of God's truth, God's law. They acted like our interpretation of the law is the right interpretation. You go against us, and you're wrong. We're right. And what Jesus was saying was, no, they're actually the bad guys, and I'm actually the good guy. They thought, we will get rid of this man, and then we'll be back in power again. We'll have the people to ourselves again. We're losing power with this guy. We think he's a blasphemer, and they're so blind. They were so duped by their own pride, and I believe also by the wicked one, that they fell. So what happens in verse 8? Well, they, they take the son, and they kill him. And they throw his dead body out of the vineyard like it's trash. That's how wicked they had become. They can kill the son and just throw him away like he's nothing. Well, verse 9 is, of course, what we're all wanting. You can't read this and want justice. Right? You can't hear about so much wickedness being compounded over the other. It just gets worse and worse. One servant, then multiple, then the son. And everybody who's listening to this is just thinking, ah, just, ooh, get those guys. They're evil. They're the bad guys, clearly, in this story. Which is just why we all love those movies where there's a clear bad guy. And he's just so wicked throughout the whole movie. And halfway through the movie, it's like, oh, they're going to get it. Oh, and he does something even more evil. And you just think, oh, gosh, get that guy. And then guess what? The good guy at the very end gets him. And we say, hmm, that was a good movie. That was a good movie. You know, actually, one of the complaints of one of my most favorite movies is, my favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Well, as you might remember, Mr. Potter, he made life really bad for George Bailey, didn't he? Pretty much his whole life. George Bailey was always fighting as the underdog to to get get to the top. And and then at the very, towards the end, well, George Bailey and his his helper, they lose all this money. 
Well, and as you might recall, it was Mr. Potter that accidentally got the newspaper that had all that money in it because the guy was going to make the deposit. And Mr. Potter keeps it and tells no one that he's got it and just watches George Bailey and his friend get in all this trouble. And there they are about to go to jail. And then the whole neighborhood comes in, as you remember, and, and helps George Bailey because he'd helped so many people his whole life long. So had his dad. And so they're like, let's get together and help him out. Well, we never get to see in that movie Mr. Potter come to justice. And you know what? That's been one of the biggest complaints that the creators of that movie have had since they made it. Well, they're all, they've all passed away now. It's a very old movie. But that's one of the biggest complaints is people said, but what happened to Mr. Potter? We wanted to see him brought to justice. See, when there's no justice, that makes us angry. When wrongs are not righted, we say, hey, 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 people should get what they deserve. Which is why Jesus says in verse 9, what would the owner of the vineyard do? Then he answers his own question. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Which is what he should do. I mean, killing people? I mean, throwing rocks at people? They deserve death. And anyone who reads the story would say, yeah, that sounds fair to me. He's going to give it to others. Remember who Jesus is speaking to here. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders who've rejected him. Well, it's very important here when he says he's going to give it to others. In Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, we read this. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that's by faith but that Israel, who pursued a law that led to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as, as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it's written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a stumbling of rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is preview of what's to come. The Israelites rejected and made a way for the Gentiles to come in. It's very clear in Romans. It talks about breaking off the olive branch and putting in a wild shoot, which is the Gentiles. We were grafted in because Israel rejected for the most part and made the way for the Gentiles, which, of course, was always part of God's plan. As Jay pointed out, God's sovereignty over all things. So this is, a, I believe, a reference to that, that Israel rejected Gave the vineyard to others. The Gentiles got to come in as well. And aren't you thankful? Because <laughs> that's us. Everybody in this room. <laughs> and if you don't know, Gentile means a non-Jew. It's just Jews and Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And then Jesus quotes the scriptures. Have you not read in the scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus exalted above all authorities, powers, rulers. He is the chief. You reject him, you got nothing. Just like if you take the cornerstone away from a building, we don't really build buildings like this anymore, but long ago there was this big, huge rock at the corner of the building, and they would just build off of it. That rock was like darn near immovable. It was 
so secure, they said, we'll just build off of it. We'll build all the building off that thing because it's not going anywhere. And Jesus says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Meaning, if you, have, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. He's the stone that everything's built on. No Jesus, no heaven. Because you can't get there without him. Why can't you get there without him? Because without Jesus, you're still in your sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God did something to save sinners who cannot save themselves. He sent his son who bore our punishment, bled and died to take what we deserve. He didn't deserve it. He was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, the Son of Man was in the heart of the earth for three days and rose again from the grave. And all who put their faith and trust in him will be saved. That's why, if you've got the cornerstone, you've got heaven as well. That's why, if your faith is in the Son, then the king, the owner of the vineyard, he is pleased with you, and you will receive blessing by tending his vineyard. Well, look at verse 12. Though, <laughs> though these Jewish leaders are not spiritually intelligent because they haven't trusted in the Son, they do have enough savvy among them to know, hey, you're talking about us. They were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went, went away. Well, guys, you perceived rightly. Jesus is saying that you are those ones. You are the ones that are seeking to kill him. And they were also perceiving rightly that he was saying that he's the son of the king, which is why they charged him with blasphemy. So let's talk about the main takeaways from this. Because by the way, a parable, parables are made to teach big main truths. Parables aren't really meant to dissect every single detail and say, well, this must mean this and this must mean this and, and this has got to mean this and, and that's exactly what it means. Now you're saying, but Cohen, you sort of did that. <laughs> you, didn't you sort of say these servants were, were like the prophets? I did. And didn't you sort of say this? Yes, there are connections. And when they're very clear, then, of course, we can make those leaps. But otherwise, when they're not very clear, we don't get to just say, well, I'm going to let my imagination just be as fanciful as it can be with this thing. No. There are main truths in a parable that Jesus is trying to teach us. Main truths. Like I said earlier, the Lord has given us, in his word, all that we need for life and godliness. Just like the owner gave them everything that they needed to be successful, God has given us everything we need to be successful. Secondly, we're either going to reject God's authority like they rejected the authority of the master and seek to become our own authority like they did while also rejecting those who represent God's authority. Or we're going to be like those good tenants. I mean, rather, we're going to be good tenants. We didn't see, one of, we didn't see the example of good tenants, did we? But we're going to work the vineyard that God's given us operating in accordance with his will, agreeing with those who represent him and ultimately respecting his dear son. 
Let me add this. Rejecting God's authority shows itself in rejecting those who live under God's authority. When you reject God's authority, it's going to show itself by rejecting those who are also under God's authority. If you find yourself not wanting to be around those who are speaking truth, if you find yourself not going to godly people for advice because you know they're going to tell you the opposite of what you actually want to do, I think we've all fallen in that before. We kind of like to hang around those people that agree with us and say, you know, I'm going I'm to go to these people because I know they're going to be okay with, with, with this thing. But if I, I know if I go to this godly person, he or she's going to correct me. So let me avoid that person and let me hang out with these people. We felt that temptation, haven't we? Surely you have at some point. Or maybe I'm just alone in that. <laughs> but know that that's going to ultimately lead to a rejection of the Savior as well. The tenants rejected the master. They rejected those who represented the master. And then they rejected the son of the master, didn't they? That's the natural progression. For those who persist in their rebellion and disobedience and sin, God gives them over to what they deserve, which is what happened in this parable. They got what they deserved. And all men will get what they deserve for their sins unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who took the punishment for you, who did not deserve it. The obvious application then is this, and I'll close with this. The obvious application, well, I say I'll close. I said that just to get your attention. It's like, oh, he's almost done? Okay. Okay. The obvious application then is this. Be those tenants who operate according to God's will. Just like the children of Israel, if they would have obeyed, they would have received blessing. Who agree with the servants who represent God and who respect the Son of God. In this way, you're going to receive blessing, the blessing of the owner and his reward. Had they kept the rules of the lease, they would have gotten a huge reward. Because everything was laid out for their success by the owner, wasn't it? Had they walked in his ways. So let me now bring us back to Exodus. What ended up happening? Those people that said, all that the Lord says, we'll do. We can actually tell whether or not their hearts were true even before they started sinning. Because we know they ultimately started sinning. We know that what they said was just lip service. It's very possible to say the right things. It's very possible to get the answers right and have a heart that's wrong. I've told you before, the devil could ace any theological, biblical exam. He would get every single answer right because he's seen God with his own eyes. He knows all the truth, but he hates it. So how do we know that these people were just giving lip service. Well, look at Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21. Exodus 20, 
18 through 21. This is what happened in just the very next chapter from what I read earlier. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. By the way, you just, just try to place yourself there for a second, okay? This is gigantic mountain. We also hear that it's, it's, it's rumbling, it's trembling, it's shaking. There's dark cloud on it. There's lightning. There's loud trumpet blasts coming from the cloud. You can't even see where they're coming from. Coming from angels, by the way. The people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off. And, Moses said, and, and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Verse 21, The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Those who truly know the Lord are attracted to the Lord. They want to draw closer and closer and closer. Those who don't know him are naturally repelled by him. They feel more comfortable being further away from God, further away from the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They didn't want to hear the voice of God. To them, it sounded terrifying. To Moses, it sounded delicious. He wanted more of it. He drew near they said, we're good. That, we, we don't like that. How do you know who's truly the ones who love the master and his son, those who draw near to him? These evil tenants showed we don't like the master, we don't like those who represent him, we're distancing ourselves from him. Didn't they? Didn't they? They were acting like those who don't know the Lord. This is a great litmus test for, do I truly know Jesus? Is he attractive to you? Do you want more of him? Do you draw near to him? And do it with the others that also draw near to him? Or do you say, I would rather distance myself from him? That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes did. And, they're going, and they got what they deserved. You don't have to get what you deserve. Someone got what you deserve in your place, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we live according to his ways, in obedience to his word, we receive his blessing, the blessing of the owner, and guess what? We will share in the rewards of it as well. Isn't that good news? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it's just it's so clear Please help us not to confuse it. Help us not to complicate it. I pray that you would give grace, Lord, to those in this building that know you and love you. Give them grace to walk in obedience to your word today and tomorrow and this week and this month and the rest of their lives. And Lord, for those who might not know you yet, Lord, save souls, we pray, please. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.